G'day everybody, welcome to the Community Is Our Middle Name podcast, proudly brought to you by Grandkids Community Health. My name is Gareth Oliver, great to be with you again for another episode. Last week we observed World Elder Abuse Awareness Day. Uh, elder abuse is a significant problem in our communities that we probably don't recognise enough. And so I spoke with Kathy Day, who is our General Manager, People and Community Support here at Grandkids Community Health. Kathy has an extensive background, as you'll hear in the in the podcast, working uh, not just in the aged care sector, but also dealing specifically with elder abuse. And Kathy has a wealth of knowledge, over 20 years knowledge of, of this area. So I thought it was timely to have her come on and have a chat to us. Uh, looking forward to you guys hearing the podcast. Hopefully you get something out of it and hopefully we can all maybe learn a little bit about uh, keeping our eyes and ears open for elder abuse and protecting the uh, the older members of our community who have given so much really to uh, to every, to our communities over their lives. So here it is, my my chat with Kathy Day for Elder Abuse Week on the Communities and Middle Name podcast, proudly brought to you by Grandpa's Community Health, for you, your family, and for all of our communities. This week on the Community is Our Middle Name podcast, I'm joined by Kathy Day, who is the General Manager, People and Community Support here at Grampians Community Health. Kathy, I know you're extremely busy. Thank you very much for giving up some time to come on the podcast. No, thank you for inviting me. So, Kathy, we've just had uh, World Elder Abuse Awareness Day on Wednesday of this week, just gone. Before we get into into elder abuse, what it is and, and what people might need to look out for, I know it's something you're very passionate about. How did you get involved in uh, advocating and, and working, you know, in, in the elder abuse area? Well, I've been working in the sector for probably well over 20 years, well over. Um, and I was a case manager in the early days, and I found it really challenging to find people in situations of what appeared to be abuse. But as a case manager trying to get support from different agencies, there was actually nothing. And then I looked into it and I found that the way Victoria addressed elder abuse at the time was to provide a case manager. But the case manager actually had nowhere to go from there. They were seen as the expert in or the the solution to elder abuse at that time, which would be in the very early 2000s. That's a tough spot to put the case manager in, isn't it? Yeah, because at the time they became... Um, they might get referrals because someone was in a thought to be in a position of elder abuse, um, but also as a case manager, they'd often come across situations, and they had to keep their trusting relationship with a client, and they had to make it keep it really solid. And but at the same time, while they were doing that, they would have to be the investigator, they would have to be the person that had the solutions. At the same time, maintaining that trust with the client while they're actually trying to investigate. It was a situation that was pretty much unable to work. Yeah, especially when, you know, you and I both worked as case managers. So one of the most important things in that role is building up that trust with the people that you're working with. And then, you know, if you do suspect something and you're trying to 
you know, fine, almost it, it's almost sounds sneaky, really, when you just describe how it was back in those days, wasn't it? Yeah, and it felt like that to them. They would be bringing yeah. the different services, like I said, and the um, different assessment places, but there was no one. It was, it was they were actually the solution at the time. Case managers were the solution. Now you were saying before we started recording that you did a, a thesis on on this sort of stuff. Can you talk a little bit about about that and about how that sort of got the ball rolling to to um, make a bit of a change for what we now see with elder abuse laws? I, I make, uh, was making regular trips back to the US at the time, so I wasn't happy with our system. It wasn't fair. I'm I'm very strong on human rights for anyone. And it just seemed so unfair. And I thought there's got to be other solutions. So I went to Scotland and I met with an elder abuse prevention project coordinator. I've been to Nova Scotia, other parts of Canada, lots of states in the US that have mandatory and non-mandatory reporting. And I don't have a view on either. I don't know that there is actually an answer to that. The biggest thing I learned about the mandatory reporting side was that the clients still have full control. They would report it to, they call it adult protective services, so there was services behind it. Um, they would report it to, to them. They would contact the client, and if the client didn't want to do anything, it still didn't happen. The client still has full control under that system, and it's misunderstood here in many ways. Yeah, and I, I guess that's the same in, in a lot of our systems we have here, isn't it? If, if you're an adult, then you have the say yeah. over what you can and can't. It's do the law. or have released? It's the law. If yeah, you've exactly. Got the capacity to make a decision. It's actually the law that, as an adult, you can make your own decision. And we all know that different people make decisions that don't make sense to us, and they don't have to. No, if they make sense to that individual at the time, that's mm. completely up to them. And I think that's also part of the Charter of Human Rights as well. Yeah. Um, so, Kathy, you were also involved in the Elder Abuse Prevention Association. Can you talk a little bit about what the yeah. Elder Abuse Prevention what? Association? was and, and what their role is? So in the early days, back in around, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just guessing at the moment, 2003-ish, the association was set up and I was asked to if I was interested in joining it. And the, the focus was on getting some changes in Victoria to support people with um, in situations of elder abuse. And there was one member there who was actually an ex-police officer from the US and she was um, actually doing investigations and actually helping people. And then we held forums and kind of conferences and we had standing room only um, at the very first one. And so we had another two, I think. Um, and as I was doing my research, I was out there presenting as well. And when my research was finished, I was presenting um, and I presented on elder abuse. I've been invited to present in the US. I've been, been to New Zealand and... Um, lots of places and around Australia. So I was out there talking about Victoria's system and what the what it was at the moment. And particularly after my research, I was out there talking purely about my research and what the situation was currently in Victoria. So it was getting out there and um, notice was kind of being taken because no one else was out there speaking much about it. Yeah. Well, you, when, when you mentioned it, you, you had the... Um the conferences and they were basically booked out. To me, that shows that there was this massive undercurrent of elder abuse that just wasn't being spoken about, wasn't being reported. And I, I must admit, I I hadn't really ever heard much about elder abuse 
until I started working at Grampians Community Health a few years ago. And I don't want to put forward or portray that nothing was happening. There's lots of work done in the 90s, but for, there was a period where there was a big gap. So we started these presentations and it, it was just that there was a delay for whatever reason. There are out there, people out there, people far more experienced than me at that time and still more experienced. And they fully believed in getting things done and changing the system. But it wasn't on the radar for anything to really happen. Um, and the, 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 the situation that came up that put it on the radar came to the Elder Abuse Prevention Association because they wanted, they wanted help and they wanted action and they knew that that association was taking action wherever they could in what they felt were the right places and in the right way. Yeah. Now, you also mentioned that you had some people come to the Elder Abuse Prevention Association to highlight what happened to one of their family members. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. So there was an aged care facility in Victoria. The, these two granddaughters felt something had happened, or they, they kind of knew something had happened because their, their grandmother was behaving differently, but she had dementia. But the situation was that they discovered that sexual abuse was happening. And they were not getting anywhere. They wanted it investigated. They really felt it was happening. They really felt something significant was really, really happening to their grandmother. And they were just hitting brick walls. This is 2005, I think. Um, and they really felt something was happening, but they were hitting brick wall after brick wall after brick wall. And they wanted to, they wanted to take it to the media, but they wanted to do it in the right way. So they actually accessed the Elder Abuse Prevention Association and the, the the key person at the time took it on, did some investigation for them around it, had evidence and took it to Lateline in a very, very careful way, very careful way. And that hit the news then after that. It hit the, the politicians, it hit the Commonwealth, that the system wasn't working. We needed a better system. And they needed action on this. And that very much stimulated Australia-wide changes. Um, my research was, sh was showing that every other state had a response mechanism to elder abuse. They had um, Queensland, for example, had the Elder Abuse Prevention Unit. Um, South Australia, West Australia had Adv Advocare. Victoria had nowhere for people to go. And that was what was being highlighted. So action was happening after that. Um, on, a, on a state level, it led to the implementation of police checks for staff before they commenced work and it led to the implementation of compulsory reporting of physical and sexual abuse in aged care. For yourself and for the other people involved in the Elder uh, Abuse Prevention Association, that must have felt good to see some real change happening back in those days. Yeah, um, the, the association was an independent one um, and it was, this was seen at for a long time as sensationalisation, that this independent organisation was taking it to the news. It was being sensational. It was actually not being sensationalised in any way. And that's been shown. But also, you know, there was, there was a range of reasons why different things weren't happening. And this association didn't have to comply with anything or didn't have to. They were independent and they could do this sort of thing much more easily than others. Yeah, that's, I mean, that, and, and to get some real changes is fantastic. I'm actually really proud because I know 
Oh, look, we would have had change by now, definitely, but um, not so early. And I'm actually quite proud that we were able to, to help those granddaughters and make something uh, be the reason that something happened in that way. Yeah, help them get a bit of justice for their for their family, Absolutely. and not not just them, but you you think of all the other people who this may have happened to over the years, and it was you know sort of either not reported or people didn't know where to take it. Like you mentioned earlier, that it used um, to just go to case managers and stuff like that. And there's still transcripts of those interviews with the the grand grandchildren. So, Kathy, let's talk a little bit about elder abuse. Can you tell us what actually is elder abuse? Because it, it's fairly broad umbrella of things, isn't it? So it's actually a single or repeated lack of appropriate action occurring within a relationship where there is an expectation of trust and which causes harm or distress to an older person. So that's elements need to be um, present to be considered elder abuse. In my research, we sort of found that there was, they sort of bracketed down to six or seven different areas. Yeah. Um, do you want me to name them? We might actually we might actually take a very short break and we might run through them uh, after the break and talk a little bit about each each one. The community is our middle name podcast is proudly brought to you by Grampians Community Health. Grampians Community Health offers a wide range of services across Western Victoria, servicing the following local government areas. Northern Grampian Shire Council, our Rural City, Horsham Rural City, West Wimmera Shire, Hindmarsh Shire, Yarriambiak Shire, Bullock Shire, Southern Grampian Shire, Pyrenees Shire and Central Goldfields Shire. Services available from Grampians Community Health include alcohol and other drug support, carer support, family violence support, gambler's help, aged care and NDIS support including NDIS support coordination and plan management, mental health services and counselling across a wide range of sectors, plus many, many more. For more information, go to our website, gch.org.au, or give us a call Monday to Friday, business hours, 53587400, or visit one of our main offices in Stall, Horsham, or Ararat. The Community is a middle name podcast, brought to you by Grampians Community Health, and Grampians Community Health is, of course, here for you, your family, and our communities. Welcome back. I'm with Kathy Day, who is the General Manager, People and Community Support here at Grampians Community Health. We're talking elder abuse. Kathy uh, gave us a bit of an overview of her background and her history working in the elder abuse area and working with people and organisations uh, in the aged care sector as well. Kathy, we're going to talk a little bit about the types of elder abuse now, and we've got some got some figures that I actually got from Seniors Rights that I, I put on our socials the other day. So there are six different types of, of um, abuse, and if we can just get you to talk a bit to each one. So the first one is emotional abuse. Can you talk a little bit to that as to what exactly that entails when we're talking about an older person? If there is a situation of elder abuse happening, there will never be one sort of elder abuse because behind it and to enable it to happen, there is that emotional and psychological abuse in any situation. You, you may find that as a, as a sole one, but if any of the others are involved, that sits behind it. 
and that affects the decision making and the way someone views their situation and what is actually happening at the time. Yeah, and that sort of ties in with the next one, isn't it, which is neglect. Yeah, look, neglect I think is, I have trouble with, with it sitting in elder abuse because neglect can be because someone, the carer or someone doesn't understand or even the client themselves don't understand where they can get help or assistance. And neglect has to be shown to be detrimental to the person, basically. But it, that alone, um, it could be, and I've encountered numerous times, it is not something, or it's not something that the person that is neglecting another person is actually purposely doing. It could be something that they just don't know where to seek help, how to seek help. And once they've got that help, it, it stops when it's deliberate and um, such as not feeding people, not taking them to the doctors, not keeping them clean, not giving them their medications deliberately and knowingly that it will affect that person negatively. Yeah. That's when it's neglect. And like we mentioned in the first half as well, we're also dealing with people, older people here who have the, the right to refuse. Yes. Uh, like you can't take anyone kicking and screaming into the doctors if they choose not to. That's uh, that's right. Yeah. And the you know, as adults, they make their own decisions, but it's when that person doesn't have the capacity to do that and neglect happens too. Then it's got to be looked at, but not looked at as though this person's neglecting someone. They're causing elder abuse. We have yeah. to look at the reasons behind it and what they need and do they understand that that's what's actually happening and do they need help? Yeah, so so that's sort of part of educating the the wider public on what elder abuse is, isn't it? Yeah. Financial abuse. Now, this is a, a pretty a pretty big one. So from from my research, I found that uh, emotional, psychological abuse, and financial abuse are record, reported in around sixty three percent of all cases. Financial abuse is something that people, you know, not necessarily working in, in these fields may know much about. Can you talk a bit to what financial abuse actually is? So with financial abuse, first of all, it is the one that's most identified. Simply because people in the general public and neighbours and other family members and all those, they see it as stealing, which it is in many ways. So... Um, because it's seen as that, everyone knows you don't steal from someone else and they're more prepared to actually identify it and want to do something about it and work out how to help. So from that perspective, it's often the most reported. But to have it happen, um, again, the trust is betrayed. Someone has got access to the money for some reason, new best friend, new, new um, it could be a family member that's got access a whole range of different things. There's a multitude. I've encountered a multitude of different ways. And it's when they use the money for their own benefit, for their own interests, and they don't let the other person know and they misuse, misuse it, steal it, use it to pay their own bills, a whole range of different things. <clears throat> it's a big topic. But it is the one that's most identified because people are more comfortable thinking of the stealing aspect of yeah. it. For, for, for some older people, they're, they're probably looking at it as not necessarily as, as they're getting, I'll, I'll use air quotes, abused uh, financially. They probably see it as their duty 
to help out their grandkids or whoever who are are struggling and not realising that they're actually being taken for a bit of a ride. Yes, there's that. There's also the cultural um, side of things too. So if we're looking at Australian culture as a whole, um, or it's very difficult to explain, but then you've got other cultures that handing over the full full pension, you've got, you don't have satellite families, for example. You've got the extended families living together, working close together um, and it is common to pull all money so it may not actually be abuse it may be seen as abuse by us but it might actually not it might actually not be happening yeah. um, so you have to take there's a range of things you have to take into account and look at yeah and and then also the, if the the person is willing to to report it or, or even view it as abuse as well I guess is the other thing isn't it yeah, there's a good ad on the TV at the moment about it. That's been a really good ad. And that's, you know, a family member's been suspicious of an, another family member, one of their a brother or sister. And the mother has had her, her savings stolen, but she didn't believe that that could happen, that one of her, her children would do that. And then it's about they've got to then work with what do they want to do about it? Do they want to? Does, do they want their child to go to jail? They're responsible for their child, even as an adult. That never goes away. There's a whole mix of um, complexities around that. What do they want to happen with it? And it's very, very complex. That's where seniors' rights can help. Yeah, and I, I got most of my info, like I said, from from seniors' rights. Physical abuse and, and sexual abuse are fairly self-explanatory, uh, and unfortunately, do happen to. Members of our, um, our, well, across the community, sadly, especially to our older people, as you mentioned um, in the first half. Um, but I wouldn't mind talking a bit about social abuse. Can you just give a bit of a, a nutshell view of what social abuse is in relation to older people? It's actually when people are isolated from the community or accessing things that they want to access in the community or just with friendships and things like that. So they, and it's, it's also very, very wide and there's lots of complexities with it. And that's where the psychological abuse also comes in. So, or, and also, they're often, there's a lot of people out there that cannot report that they're socially isolated. And that's the level of social isolation they've been put in by their abuse. So they can't even tell someone. They don't have access to a phone. They don't have, they might be in a wheelchair upstairs. They can never get downstairs. They're extreme. But, but these are the, the complexities of, of social isolation. And then you might have the, the psychological stuff with the abuser saying, if you, if you tell anyone about this, I'll put you in a nursing home. They don't want to go in a nursing home. They don't want the abuse, but they don't yeah. want to leave their home. And they are terrified that they will end up somewhere they don't want to be. This on the surface. That's the surface stuff. It gets very complex underneath it. It's um it's it's tough to hear stuff like that, and especially um I also dug up in my research that ninety one percent of cases of elder abuse were perpetrated by family or friends. The statistics are much higher that it's a family member always. That's it's consistent across all statistics. But we have to also be aware of the people that come on the scene that are the new best friend, and they um they take control of the different situations. Because they're now the, they are the carer, they're caring, they're looking after them, they're doing everything for them. And the psychological stuff that goes along with that, 
um, is complex with it. So they don't have the threats from them as such, but they're doing, they're helping me and they're doing good things for me and they all play a, a big psychological role in what's happening. Yeah, and that, that can also tie into that social isolation stuff, can't it? If someone has been quite isolated and they have this new person come in who's the, as you said, the new best friend, that, that really leaves mm. a person vulnerable to, to being, uh, abused by, uh, by whoever that person may be. And unfortunately, from the stats that I've got, it's majority women who are likely to suffer from elder abuse. Um, so seniors' rights stats were that 72% of reported cases were women. We do know that women live longer than men. So older women, there's more older women than older men. But the significance of that probably doesn't match the stats. So it's really hard to comment on that, actually because yep. I'd have to know more about it. But, you know, the seniors' rights statistics, they're, they're now our, our Victorian response, and we have to take notice of them. We have to um, take them on board and consider um, what does all this really mean in the whole big picture. Yeah. So, I think I think it also speaks to uh, the disparity amongst abuse in gender across the lifespan, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's often women that are also the the abusers because they're often in the caring role more than the sons are. But then you have situations in families that um, the sons are actually managing the finances and that. Now, my sister managed them for my mum. I wasn't worried about them at all. I'm not worried. She always kept me informed. But um, I totally trusted it. However, I could have been burned. But I would know, I, I, I was very comfortable, but people do get, and, um, people do get very comfortable in their trust environment, you know, and that's when things, things happen. And it's very hard if you, gosh, if you think you've identified something wrong, something happening, first of all, you feel, oh my God, what do I do? I've, I've, I've I wonder if something's happening. You feel terrible. You feel like you now identified it. I have to do something about this. I can't leave it. What do I do? Um, it's a terrible, terrible feeling. And then the processes to go through are really, really difficult. And, you know, adults can make up their own mind. A lot of the situations are complicated by the relationships that their family members and their children and, and the responsibility even as adults that they've still got to them. You might have children returning home and that might increase with the interest rates and things like that, for example. Um, and their children might drink alcohol. They might take drugs and return home and their behaviour is abusive because they can't control that. And the parents don't want them there, but they don't want them to live on the streets. So it's very complex, very, very complex. And often these people have grown up in an era where people trusted each other People work together. The struggles that they had in the past, very different to the struggles now in the future. A big one is I want to stay in my own home. I want to be, I don't want to go into care. You know, so the, the life struggles they've had over the times have changed. And the things that now are very important to them, totally different to those in the past. And they will um, agree to things so that they can stay in their home. They yeah. might agree, but there's psychological stuff behind it. It's fascinating, really. I mean, it, it's horrifying, but it's also quite fascinating, you know, when you, you start thinking about that, that psychological stuff. Kathy, what changes have you seen over the, the years 
uh, from way back in the early 2000s when you started doing your thesis up until um, now in 2022? Look, I think we've done, Victoria's done well. Victoria's done really well. Um, it actually did start to work on changes before the televised event, before the late line event. And had they had a lot of discussions, they had public forums, they had round tables and discussions happening with key key people involved, key organisations, and um, I was lucky to be invited to some of those. So that led to seniors' rights. That led to the establishment. What are we going to do? Um, they had this vision of seniors' rights, um, and that led to that massive change of having seniors' rights as a place where people can go, they can be referred, and I'm sure over... It's probably been running since 2008, so what are we, 10, 14 years now? There's been massive changes within seniors' rights, new funding, new supports, new legal services. They're all absolutely positive results from that. And there's networks across across Victoria funded by, that are funded. Some of them are funded by the government. Community services, we're a member of, of an, a big network. So community programs have put in new policies, procedures, actions, resources for staff, and none of that was there before. So there's been massive changes. There's still changes personally, I believe, are needed, but they cost, and, and we've, I think we've done an enormous amount in still a relatively short time frame. You know, yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. I think, you know, we're very lucky to have seniors' rights. So at least we can refer people and then it's up to them if they want to take further. So, Cassie, uh, just finally, if there is anyone out there listening who is a little concerned that maybe, you know, something's not quite right with with an older older friend or family member, what would you suggest to them to, to do? Well, they can talk to the person, but um, have to be very careful and use language like, do you think you're being taken advantage of? Do you think... You would never talk to them about being abused. You would start off with very different language. That's probably a really, really key thing. You would, you could do a referral to the aged care assessment service. Again, the person's got to allow them in. Um, you could make phone calls to seniors' rights and see if they're able to help. And there's legal services that they can go to. So they're the key things. It's still complex behind that. It absolutely thrives on covertness. It thrives on being hidden. And there are way more people out there in situations of elder abuse than there are identified, way more, because of that. Um, and it's really a crisis. It's usually a long-term situation. Someone's just identified it, though. Yeah. Um, I guess, like a lot of things, communication is such a key thing, isn't it? They can't communicate sometimes. Good point. <laughs> Good point. Um, there's also... Fear and the shame that they're actually allowing this. They know it might be happening. They might have actually recognised it, but they feel ashamed that their children would be doing this to them or their best friends doing this to them or they've let this new friend into their life and they've, they're embarrassed about it, but they've actually let it happen to them, you know. Yeah. So it's, it's very complex. The, one of the big things is, and I've seen it, in the past with case managers or people that want to help is acting too soon and destroying a family relationship. And you have to be very, very sure of the information you've got and 
um, very careful about how you then manage it. We, we monitored a case for two years um, of a lady and we didn't know, she sold a house, we, we didn't know whether she actually had the money now, whether a family member did. And we identified that if she actually accessed or looked for supported accommodation, government-funded um, aged care accommodation rather than bonded or, you know, an ingoing fee, that was the trigger. That was the only trigger we had to say, this is wrong. Someone's got their, got, got their money. And not many organisations would identify that as the trigger. You'd think, okay, she's going into care, that's good. So, problem solved. Well, it wasn't really solved from my perspective or from our perspective at that time, the case managers, because we, we would get rid of most of the referrals for these sort of situations. We'd identified the point that proved that elder abuse was happening, financial elder abuse. And we quickly took it to VCAT. Within less than 24 hours, we had a, someone was appointed because we had all the information, we tracked it and, tra- and tracked it. It requires a lot of work. Um, and the lady, the important thing to us was that she, she was, we, weren't, we weren't concerned with where she was going or, or any of that. It was about her having her money. And most places probably wouldn't have considered that in the sense that she's going into care and she's going to be looked after. But to us it was important that when she went into care she actually had money that could be used to look after her because it was hers. And that's super important. So, Cathy, this has been a really interesting chat. I think we could probably talk about elder abuse for for hours uh, and still only scratch the surface, but I really appreciate you giving up some time to come on and have a chat uh, on the podcast this week. Thank you. Once again, thank you to Cathy Day, who is the General Manager, People and Community Support here at Grampians Community Health, for coming onto the podcast and having a chat about elder abuse. Of course, uh, last week we had World Elder Abuse Awareness Day, which we recognised, and uh, hopefully we can get a bit more awareness out there about what is happening with elder abuse. You also heard us talk a bit about seniors' rights in this episode, and uh, their website is seniorsrights.org.au. I'll include a link in the show notes to that as well. Of course, this episode is brought to you by Grampians Community Health, and Grampians Community Health offers a massive range of services right across Western Victoria from the Southern Grampians across to the across to the South Australian border, then back over towards the uh, into the Central Goldfields area. So big area and a big range of services. Go to our website, gch.org.au for more information. You can have a look at all our services, have a look at all the areas we cover and uh, get some more information from there. You can also give us a call Monday to Friday on 53587400. Talk to one of our, uh, our friendly customer engagement team and uh, they'll be able to put you where you need to go. Uh, business hours, of course, is the best time to call. You can follow Grampians Community Health on the socials. So we're on Facebook, facebook.com slash Grampians Community Health and we're on Instagram and Twitter at GCH Grampians. If you want to drop in and say good day, you can do that too. We have offices in Stall, Horsham and Ararat. There are three main sites. So... Uh, Once again, get on that website and have a look at where our offices are located and where the nearest GCH office is to you. This podcast is available to subscribe and listen to whenever you like. 
uh, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, iHeartRadio, uh, Audible by Amazon, Google Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, basically anywhere you can find podcasts. Subscribe uh, on your favorite podcasting app and you'll never miss an episode. It'll get downloaded directly to your listening device, however you listen to it. Most people listen to them on their phones. So if that's how you do it, that's fantastic. And you can you can hear us uh, whenever it suits you, which is a beautiful part of it, podcasts, I guess, isn't it? Uh, the intro and outro music for this show is an original composition performed by Andrew Parsons, and we use that with his permission, and we also would like to thank him for that as well. This podcast was recorded and produced on the traditional lands of the Jabwarong people, and we'd like to pay our respects to all elders, past, present, and emerging. That's another show in the books. I uh, hope you uh, you got something out of it. I, like I said in the show, I, I could probably talk to Kathy for hours about elder abuse, and we could only just scratch the surface. An amazing wealth of knowledge on the subject, and. Uh, I'm sure it came across in the podcast, but uh, Kathy is also quite passionate about uh, working with the older members of our community and helping to stamp out things like elder abuse, which I think is extremely admirable. My name is Gareth Oliver. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Communityism in a Name podcast. And this show is brought to you, of course, by Grampians Community Health. And Grampians Community Health is here for you, your family, and our community. Till next time, so long.